Hello everyone, welcome to BungaCast. My name is Alex Hochuli. As usual, I'm in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, George Hor is here uh, in London. And uh, Phil Cunliffe, you may note, is away. Um, if you're watching, that other person in the square is going to be introduced in just a second. But hello from us. Just before I introduce our guest, I just wanted to say that this is going to be most likely, I think, unless something major suddenly happens in the next couple of days, our last episode of the year. Um, but I wanted to um, highlight some things we've got coming up in the new year. Lots of big things, um, some changes maybe here at BungaCast, but also I wanted to highlight some episodes we've got coming up. Um, we're going to be discussing whether we're living in a time of catastrophe and endings and what it might mean to organize around this. Uh, we're going to have uh, Giuliano Fiori on to discuss that. Uh, we're going to be discussing the millennial left with Chris Cutrone. Uh, Amber Lee Frost is going to be back on the podcast to talk about her memoir, which has just come out. Uh, it's called Dirtbag. Uh, we'll be discussing emotionalism in public life with Ashley Frawley. And we'll also have Laya Saudi from the British band Fat White Family talking about punk and transgression, which I think might work as a sort of segue to uh, introduce our guest today, uh, our last guest of the year, JJ Charlesworth. Uh, hi, JJ. Hello. Hello. Okay. So. For those of you who don't know JJ, um, he's an art critic, he's a writer, uh, and he's one of the editors at the international art magazine, Art Review. And we're going to be talking about art, and maybe I'm keeping JJ hanging on the line a little bit too long before allowing him to say anything else other than hello. We were just talking about Taylor Swift and about various other you know, very important matters just before we came on. But just before that, I wanted to, to, to ask George whether... So we're talking about you know art here. We're going to be talking about contemporary art. Do you like any contemporary art, or do you have a sense of what the term means? Yeah. Just to put you on the spot a little bit. I feel like I'm being kind of wheeled out as the idiot to say things before then the expert gets to correct everything. Um, yeah, I mean, so contemporary art. I guess my references are probably a bit out of date, but I see it as a you know it's a it's a tank it's a tank of formaldehyde with half a shark in it. It's kind of something conceptual that you you have no idea what it is or Maybe more recently, it's a political message in a in a gallery that has very attractive people swanning around and white painted walls. Do I have a yeah? I mean, that is that my sense of what the term means? Probably that plus going to the Tate Modern and and seeing what there is there. So I I would say I'm I'm yeah I'm I'm interested in art, but not very not an not an expert by any stretch. And I should I should say something like. I knows I knows what I likes, but I don't even think that I do. I think I'm quite persuadable that something is better or worse than I took it to be on initial sighting, having it explained or talking it through. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same, and I'm wanting to get JJ on for for a long time now. But what really what prompted I went to the Biennale in São Paulo, um, the big art Biennale, um, which has been running for for um, just over a century now. And every time I go, and I go every two years, kind of when it's on, I kind of, and and not just to that, but I come away kind of, um, I go into it being open-minded and kind of interested in going, okay, I want to try to understand it. And then I come away from it going, am I stupid? Or I don't know, like, it's mainly stuff which I don't understand, or that makes me feel things, but it's, it never goes beyond the sensory level. And so that's kind of my 
<laughs> my my kind of dumb understanding of of a lot of contemporary art that it's either stuff I don't understand or that it makes me feel good or interesting or it's like nice colors and lights and things, but I'm not really sure what it's meant to mean beyond that either. Anyway, so our stupid ramblings, we'll leave them to one <laughs> side and ask and <laughs> turn to an actual expert. JJ, first, I mean, what is contemporary in the contemporary art? Is every plastic art created today, by definition, contemporary art? Well, thank you, Alex. Thanks, George. I think you're not as stupid as you uh, would like to pretend. <laughs> I think uh, the, the important points that you raise are actually uh, uh, significant in terms of how we deal with art because you're talking a lot about expertise. Uh, and I, I would guess that in many fields, expertise uh, you know, has a kind of authoritative value. Uh, and it's very nice to be called an expert, but actually it's just something I've learned as I went along. Obviously, I've you know studied a bit and, and gone to art college and uh, you know tried to write things down in a fashion that makes sense and try to work out what I think about stuff and read other people's uh, uh, you know opinions on things. But I think and, that and indeed you've got a book coming out about. And I, have this. A book I, I forgot out, to say in the introduction, a... so I'm going to use this as a prompt to, to, to <laughs> allow you to talk about your book coming out this year, next year, next year, next year, early next year, hopefully, uh, which is about. The, it's called Criticism of Art and Theory in 1970s Britain. It's an academic study of the criticism and the changes in art criticism that took place in the 70s uh, uh, in, in the UK, um, uh, looking particularly at how new theories, uh, particularly theories from the left, as it was then, but the kind of post-68 left, started to influence uh, how art was being made and how art was being written about. So I guess the the, the interesting thing for me is to, to kind of consider, to come back to, to, to kind of these points about what is contemporary art and, and what, to, what should we think about it or feel about it. I think there's a great deal of thinking that we should think the right thoughts about contemporary art. I think that the idea of expertise is always a problem in art because actually it, it addresses a, a non-specialist public and that's how it should be, right? There is a kind of, a tendency always to make uh, to professionalize art, and I think that your kind of feelings, uh, sentiments, Alex, about going to say a big official uh, institutional organized exhibition like the Sao Paulo Biennale are you know not mis, uh, misconstrued. One feels perhaps excluded or not necessarily on the same page as what one is seeing in a big exhibition like that because actually that that work is. Uh, the product of a conversation which is being had, uh, if not if not by experts, but by people who are within uh, a discourse. So, so I think it's 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 interesting to kind of uh, to have a kind of end of year discussion about contemporary art because it seems to be we can say that a lot has gone wrong uh, in the field. Uh, there have been a lot of upsets and and uh, controversies that have bubbled up certainly in the last year or two years or three years, and uh, I, I think that. When it comes to you know what defines the contemporary, I think that's a, a super interesting question because it does uh, identify for me some of the points that we're just starting to make around the division between the public and the official system of art. Right now, for me, I, it's very interesting that you should start with this. You sent me your notes, and uh, it's very interesting you should start with. Not not do we like contemporary art or do we think it's good or bad or whatever, but what is what's what's the definition of the contemporary? Because for me, it's a really big, 
big, big question, and it's a very interesting one, and it's one that in the last 20 years uh, some thoughtful uh, critics and theorists have tried to grapple with. Uh, what is the contemporary? I think it's Gambon's little book. Uh, and many, many critics and, and kind of commentators on art and theorists have tried to grapple with what, why do we keep calling it contemporary, right? And in reality, the, the what's I think for me the reason that a lot of people have struggled to kind of get to anywhere sensible with the idea of what is the what is contemporary and contemporary art is because um, it's really a matter of uh, politics and historical period and a relationship of cultural institutions to the public, right? That sounds all kind of slightly arid and uh, and uh, and kind of uh, theoretical, but really, the, we only really start talking about contemporary art in in a big way uh, from the nineties. Right there is right. there is some play of of the word in the nineteen sixties, uh, you know the ICA is established in uh, in the late forties uh, I think, uh, and it's called the Institute of Contemporary Arts. But it's quite rare to see the the term contemporary used uh, with relation to the art of the moment. Modern because art because it, it replaces modern, right? Like it, I mean, repl- that... it becomes it comes to replace modern, and so without going into a very a big kind of philosophical debate about which which can happen and has and does happen about what we mean by the contemporary. It is definitely something which attaches to a, a problem about time and history and our relationship or cultural life's relationship to the now, right? So I'm and I think obviously I was excited to kind of think about this question with you uh, guys because. You are the ones who are talking about the what comes after the end of history, right? And so there is, and I, you know, without kind of trying to be too kind of to align things too much with, you know, some of the things you might be discussing uh, on your podcast, I think it is very true that every time I've tried to look at it, contemporary art is a thing that starts in the 90s. And even, and the reason it's not just a philosophical kind of rumination about the nature of time or the nature of the present or the moment, or and it's, and it's not just something to do with um, some kind of uh, political analysis we could make about, say, that there's no future or the politics, the politics of the future has come, you know, run mm. aground or somehow mm. you don't have to make highfalutin uh, claims, or, although I think they're, they're important to, to bring in. But I think what's really important about thinking about the contemporary is what George uh, was mentioning about Damien Hirst, right? Uh, he's referring to work by, by um, Damien Hirst, uh, a shark in a tank of formaldehyde, which is already quite an old work, but, uh, but, a, but an important work of the 1990s. Now, to kind of link that to what you're talking about with the Sao Paulo Biennial, the, the thing that links them for me is the contemporary art is the is the art of the period in which visual art is brought back into uh, official sanction. Right now, I mean in, that in, in a very particular. Sense? Sorry, yeah, go on. sorry, you were just about to say. So, so official. I mean, it's, it's 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 interesting that in the '90s, it's the period in which a certain kind of liberal political culture. Reconcile, manages to reconcile what used to be a oppositional cultural forms, right, with with the, its own mainstream, right. So in a way, contemporary art is the, the reason we can call it contemporary art, and 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 why we struggle to kind of wonder why uh, we keep calling it that, and why we can identify artworks uh, that are that are of the moment is because it actually attaches to the moment in history when visual art high culture, but also visual art counterculture 
was essentially uh, de-weaponized. <laughs> so, so if you think about the 70s and 80s, but to the period between the, you know, the late 60s and the, well, for the period from the 60s into the end of the 80s, it's remarkable to, to look back at, at periods like the 1980s because actually the, 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 the battle or the fight over what happened in public culture was still being fought out well into the late 80s and early 90s, if you, can, if you mm-hmm. think of a place like, mm. like the UK. And you had like arch-conservatives kind of bemoaning the, 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 the nature of architecture, the nature of visual art, the nature, and so on and so on. Um, and what's interesting is that for a long time, up until after the Cold War, the idea that there was a kind of bastion of high culture, official culture, which had to be defended against the counterculture, uh, and vice versa, had, you know, the high culture had to be attacked by, the, by those in the counterculture. That basically just gets iced. It just, you know, Blairite, uh, centrist, uh, third way, and and post Cold War p- politicians uh, realize that they just have to reconcile this stuff and bring it back into the fold. And of course, it's you know the personnel is is of the the cultural kind of uh, sector or, or the, the, the people involved in in who become powerful in the period that we know as contemporary are, are, are largely uh, left left and liberal uh, actors, right? And so, so what we see, I, I mean, this would be my argument, is that what hmm. you see in the contemporary art is f- not just a, a style of art, although I think that's that there is much to be discussed there, but it's actually a relationship. It's a relationship of institutions and large political actors uh, in how they uh, establish a certain kind of visibility uh, for visual art with relation to the public. So a lot of a lot of kind of conservative commentators basically uh, stand down. And so what we've had for 20, 25 years, I think, even more like 30 years, is a period in which, uh, broadly speaking, the values of the centre-left and the counterculture have become uh, essentially assimilated and integrated into the normal workings uh, of the visual art establishment. And I mean, that goes for museums, public art galleries, the art history departments, art theory departments, and the art school. So all those things are, are tendencies which, you know, you can track uh, as, as a kind of ensemble from, from, the, uh, from the early 90s onwards, and which have become, you know, essentially uh, uh, the consensus and the, and the hegemonic arrangements of these, of how those work together. I think, you know, just to kind of, I don't want to keep going on, but I think we can come back to the, the possibility that might, the wheels might be slightly coming off, off that now mm. uh, for reasons that maybe we can speculate on. Yeah, so, I mean, it's funny thinking about that when you talked about, and maybe we shouldn't discuss this now, but when you mentioned the fact that, you know, until the 1990s that you had, you know, conservatives complaining about modern architecture and whatever, and that might actually sound very contemporary now because, I mean, people on social media may have noticed that there's these neo-traditionalists, um, as they're called, which sounds is kind of oxymoronic. And they, you know, often have avatars of their images, which are some classical sculpture, and they mainly complain about the fact that this is all this new building of anything built after the mid mid twentieth century is horrible, and they should be building things like neo gothic <laughs> stuff, which was built, I don't know, in the nineteenth century or something. I, I don't know what they what exactly they want, and but so anyway, it just seems to be that some kind of conservative react bar you know reactionary discourse has kind of come back or kind of criticism of the 
of what is seen as a sort of monolithic left liberal kind of cultural establishment. I don't know if that's the case, but maybe we can return to that because maybe that's more about um, things falling apart rather than how um, contemporary art came to be. So to, to, to move on, I guess, to the, to the next question, um, is there anyone kind of doing anything new? Is there kind of anything um, that gives voice to our times in an interesting way, either in form or indeed in, in terms of content? today i mean this may be a kind of subjective opinion but well i mean I, I, this is a this is the nasty, nastiest question to land on a critic right because uh you know is, <laughs> is anybody doing anything well in much the same way as you know uh, every discussion about the contemporary in contemporary art uh, runs aground on the issue of well like if it's happening now it must be contemporary, right? Which is a very reductive mm. kind of mode of uh, endpoint for that kind of discussion. I think people are always making things new because otherwise it it would there would be nothing. You'd have seen it all by now, kind of thing. Yes, there are people making lots of new things. Whether there's any in- innovation, I think, is more interesting. I think that what is interesting is that certain trends and and positions are starting to emerge which maybe have become more about being established or becoming the consensus or becoming the norm and what i mean by that is that i think if you know just to come back to sort of concrete examples and i i, I would have loved to see the sao paulo by bnl and I'm, I'm glad you saw it but i think you may have noticed there that uh, a lot of what is essentially a kind of sanctioned uh, art. I, I would hesitate to call it official because that's a little bit of a loaded and, and slightly sort of, you know, a slightly exaggerated term. But uh, you will have noticed that there's lots of politics in art, right? That there <laughs> yeah. are lots of, or at the very least, there are lots of narratives which relate to to uh, issues of social uh, interest, and cultural and often identitarian interests. So Almost I think that exclusively. If, so at least in my in my experience. Like, well, I mean, it, I don't think it's an uncommon experience, and I think that what is uh, particularly kind of uh, vivid now is just quite how dominant that kind of mode uh, of of thinking about what to do with art works and what they should do and who they should do do them for do it for. It, it's very clear that that has become almost the conventional form of contemporary art. I mean, it was not necessarily show, so, like, so, so to kind of flip back to George's uh, Damien Hirst's Shark in a Tank, what's really interesting, of course, is that that is of a different period in the contemporary, right, where, where actually certain things about kind of certain kind of stra- strategies and attitudes towards shock uh, and confrontation with the public, but in a way which was to a degree kind of like tongue-in-cheek, uh, or to to a degree ironic or self aware of of the limits of that uh, was played out at a moment when that visibility of contemporary art that relationship to the public was being kind of reestablished in in a new way. That's what really for me what the you know the young British artists and the nineteen nineties served to establish in many respects. It's, it served to kind of reestablish visual art as a kind of spectacular uh, media uh, media object uh, for. Of, you know, that drove publicity and that drove its own kind of reputation, uh, and and formed a kind of entertainment. Hmm. So, but I it, mean, uh, it, it, at the risk of putting too fine a point on it, is that yeah. kind of, you know, there's a kind of slightly flippant, certainly ironic 
art of the end of history and then kind of moving towards the end of the end of history, you have yes. something be- becoming more political and more self-consciously serious about the world. Well, I mean, first problems. of all, less, less, uh, yes. And I, t- I actually, I think this is not a bad kind of uh, way to, do- to align things with these kinds of periodizing kind of, uh, 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 kind of vehicles that, that, that you discuss. And, and I think, you know, many are, are very kind of, uh, aware of, and I think it's very true that after, say, there was a period between, say, maybe the mid '90s when the, the kind of spectacular and entertainment and media, uh, and relatively kind of upbeat, actually, when you think about it, upbeat kind of cultural tone mm. was replaced by a more downbeat, post-crash, post two thousand and eight, uh, uh, post-austerity reflection on the virtues and values of making art, right? And I think it was certainly in the last 15 years after the financial crash that a lot of artists became a lot more kind of uh, pessimistic and and became much more serious or, or, or in a way thought they were becoming more serious by uh, turning away from glitz, glamour, uh, provocation, fun, uh, you know, entertainment, to, to put a, a, a broad term on it, uh, and wanted to to see themselves as, as serious actors, hmm. uh, I, I, whether it was seriousness or, or I don't know seriosity. <laughs> or, you know, I, I don't. I'm not quite sure, but I think it's it's important to to note that the, the period of the end of the end of history, as it were, in in your terms, bunker cast people, is is definitely an aspect of how it's become actually quite. It's actually become quite a dispiriting experience to go and see conspiracy, con, uh, uh, contemporary art because there is so much of this kind of relatively agenda-driven, relatively discourse-driven art, which is made by artists who are less interested in the experience of art for its own peculiarities and idiosyncrasies and, and interests and more interested in art as vehicles for message, uh, artworks as vehicles for messages, discourses, agendas, campaigns. So, so I, that I, is definitely a, yeah. a shift which we've seen in, in that kind of, if we were to call the last 30 years, which is, I think, still the contemporary period, it it, it nevertheless has happened that the tone and the mood has shifted. But I don't think, and this is the interesting point, I don't think the institutional frame in which the contemporary happens, which is largely speaking a kind of hegemonic status for the art institution, the public art institution, the biennial the museum, the public, the public art gallery, and which is a, a strongly international, right? Uh, I think I don't. I think actually that's that's consolidated more, barring certain kind of like periodic upsets. But I think that the, the culture of contemporary art is one of a network of institutions that tend to circulate a relatively uh, consensual uh, discourse on a lot of uh, what are essentially agenda positions. So that, the type that of art that of... I would have liked when I was a, when I was a teenager, just like yeah, give, give me something because I, of course I'm a philistine and have no appreciation for for beauty, and uh, you know just wanted something that was like angry and punchy and rebellious. But you know that's I didn't become an artist, so that's you know, well, unless best. podcasting is an art form, but we mm. probably shouldn't get into that. Yeah. Um, but the I'm sure I mean, it is. Don't, yeah. yeah, don't diss yourselves, right? Let's if, let's just know. let's assume. And in fact, you've you've said that it is so that they if you're the expert, then it, it must be. And I'm not going to challenge that. Welcome to the art cast, Bunga. The, um, yeah. Yeah. I, so, I'm 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 uh, I, I resent uh, uh, being uh, loaded with this this responsibility. I, I think what's interesting, of course, I mean, this is the point about 
uh, authority and, and the lack of it, and also how authority comes comes to be, right? And especially in terms of like you know the, the qualities of an art form, if you want to call it that, right? Uh, nobody knew how to do good co- good podcasts, right? Twenty years ago or ten years ago, whatever, and you've all had to learn the art of it, right? And that's through trial and error, reflection, experience. Uh, doing things slightly differently, tweaking this, fixing that, rejecting something else. These are all kind of testing, uh, you know, like te- testing and, and experimentation approaches to, to making something better, which means you have certain criteria which you develop over time. All those things are transferable to any discussion of uh, of creative practice elsewhere, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I hesitate to describe myself as a, as a creative due to my podcasting because that would uh, just make anybody quite rightly in a conversation that I was with just find an excuse to leave instantly <laughs> but this this picture that you paint of a kind of I guess 90s um, upbeat or mid 90s upbeat vibesy kind of at that point contemporary art world and then a bit more of a downbeat <clears throat> self-serious kind of contemporary art today that definitely that definitely resonates with with me from what I've more what I've read than having been to to um you know by any old but I did want to kind of I guess extend this point a little bit or make it a bit more concrete and hopefully this is a question that as a critic you're happier to answer than is anybody doing anything new like who is the worst contemporary artist like who, who like why are they so bad or so depressing and I don't know you don't necessarily have to name names it could be like a, if but if you're happy to then please do i, mean, I, I think uh, we're probably going to come to this i mean you know uh, someone like i mean it, it's unfair but like someone like marina abramovich might be a terrible artist uh damien hurst might be a terrible artist but they're also but like most of the people who were on the turner prize shortlist this year are terrible artists right you <laughs> that there there are certain people who who i mean the point is there are also lots of dreadful artists who have no public profile so that's why it's unfair to you know of course are terrible artists and have no standing at all so, so it's a slightly sort of playful question because obviously we're saying what do we mean by bad art right and and i think but for me i think there's a, a great many artists uh who for me are, are of no interest and are very bad uh, who still have kind of relatively substantial public profile and success because I find that their art it tends to uh, be simplistic and and pedestrian in a way in which it plays to narratives uh, in order to certain kind of established narratives in order to win favor and reputation and and likes right I mean you know the endless stuff about going to one of Yayo Kasama's like uh, star rooms or infinity chambers, or whatever they're called, infinity rooms. You know, I, I find that really uh, depressing, uh, and I think it's just terrible, terrible work, right? Um, in fact, so, I, I find a lot of a lot of you know her, her painting of dots uh, repetitively very boring and terrible. But I mean, the point is that there are, you know, that to say that there are bad art artists is to say, well, there has to be a public debate about and a conversation about what we value and what our criteria are. And I think certainly kind of values of both inane spectacle and entertainment on one hand, and on the other hand, uh, pompous discourse, uh, gives me a good sort of working <laughs> spectrum to, to, to kind of uh, establish what, what I think is good and 
perhaps by kind of projection or extrapolation what is good right um yeah so, so just those... just to just to push you a, a, a little bit on this so you've got inane spectacle and i'm assuming i might reveal my lack of knowledge here, but i'm assuming you're talking about the infinity rooms there because you go and there's some lights and you kind of you can it's like a house of mirrors though i kind of enjoyed it but maybe just for the reasons of inane spectacle so that's one kind of characteristic of people bad do love the name spectacle i mean that's the thing i have, I have no <laughs> I problem mean, with the name spectacle yeah, no <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. good way to spend a spend a saturday afternoon um and then on the other hand you have kind of you know pompous discourse what what is the what is the greater kind of danger or, or problem with contemporary art because you know i guess hasn't there always been inane spectacle don't people like you know to a certain extent you know it's spectacular if nothing else yeah, so like, what what is it that is the particular kind of characteristic de- danger, if that's the right word, or like flaw, or like tendency, maybe is the right word of of contemporary art that when it does fail, it's more likely to well, fail this because of this than anything else. Well, I think that was that there's one thing that ties those two together, even though they're kind of poles apart, and even though they have uh one has i think tended to kind of supersede the other but i think it's important to notice that you know large institutions are kind of more preoccupied with getting audiences in uh after certainly after covid which has caused a lot of trouble after the yep. pandemics and the lockdowns and so there is a kind of lurch at the moment towards kind of spectacularizing everything right so big like the big marina abramovich show at the royal academy in london which is on the tendency for a lot of museums to kind of and galleries to kind of try to uh, steer towards uh, this new genre of immersive art, which is starting to kind of turn up everywhere, and and the commercialization of that too. So so the idea of, of making things easy and making it an experience and making it essentially a visiting experience is definitely part of that kind of inane spectacle pole. I think though that there is a there is a point behind that which is which also applies to you know pompous discourse which is it's still institutions that are running that show the the pomp the the the, the inane spectacle but it's also Mm. institutions that are behind the uh relatively sort of homogenous form of curating and and program making which is increasingly about agendas or about politics or about social issues or whatnot and artists and putting artists together in shows that uh, fulfill and and kind of pursue a presentation a form of art which which is very much about a kind of didactics of of, of contemporary social commentary and 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 a certain number of uh perspectives on on uh issues in social you know in contemporary political and social life so you, there's a lot of art about gender there's a lot about a lot of art about race there's a lot of there's a hell of a lot of art made now about the environment and in the ecological uh, climate change and climate crisis uh, kind of uh, themes. So it, it's, but again, the important point is it, big institutions that still kind of tend to, and it's institutions as as, as a form rather than independent uh, activity uh, and little people doing their own thing, uh, which tends to govern uh, the the situation. So that's the, I think that's it's important to recognise they're both dangerous because really what lies above them is the fact that. To a degree, the, the public is relatively disenfranchised, hmm. right? Partly because there's a kind of pandering, and then there's an, then there's on one side, and then there's a sort of lecturing going on on the other. So you're you're kind of immersive, and, and, and entertainment and spectac- spectacular art is all about kind of pandering to the public, 
And then there's a lot of uh, big uh, kind of institutional shows that are about lecturing and finger wagging or, or, you know, engaging with people to, to explain to them that the climate mm. crisis, that's, that's a big theme at the moment, which is mm. drives me nuts. So, so as a sort of anarchist, I guess, um, to a degree, I mean, I'm against institutions, let's put it that way, uh, or, or rather I'm against institutionalization as a critic, mm. because as a critic, you speak on the behalf of the public and you speak on behalf of the artist and you do both at once and often, you know, it causes interesting kind of conflicts, right? But what I'm against is, is I never speak on behalf of the institution. That's, that's really important. Otherwise you become a PR for institutions. So I think that that, I think unfortunately that's become increasingly powerful and prevalent. Um, So the the institution produces the uh, inane spectacle, the, the pompous discourse, and then the, um, the, some of the critics who, who are supposed to kind of (laughs) provide a bulwark against it, but yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think that's definitely not not really the case at the moment. You know, um, mm. it's it's uh, partly because I think people fall into the trap of of backing certain horses or taking sides or or supporting the agenda making type art and then pretending to themselves that the spectacular stuff is just uh, vapid and inane and mm. inane and and commercialized, when at the same time they don't notice or wish to acknowledge that they're essentially supporting. Uh, and backing uh, the continuation of a particular uh, institutional power <laughs> arrangement. So I think that those, you know, those things need to be discussed openly, and they they, they do need to be uh, addressed more than they are. And I think people are very defensive about addressing them because there's a lot of career and survival and uh, yep. you know subsistence uh, involved uh, in in those situations. So I, I want to turn in just a second to the elements of content, of the ideas, of ideology and stuff. And you've already kind of hinted at some of those that we're going to talk about. Um, you know, for listener, we're going to talk about magic. So, you know, if you like magic, stick around. Uh, <laughs> but before we get to that, one last point, I guess, about more, I guess, on the inane spectacle side of things, if that's how we're dividing them. You, you've written about Marina Abramovich, uh, who you already mentioned that she morphed into the high priestess of a very contemporary fusion of experiential art and victim culture. And reading those lines that you wrote in a, in a critique of, of a show of hers, it occurred to me that, or let me phrase this as a question, has the superstar celebrity artist been endowed with an aura that the art now lacks? I mean, is that the, is that the way that it kind of working, um, that it's sort of around celebrity rather than their works? Well, I, I mean, I think it's the quality of the celebrity which has changed, right? Or, the, or rather the character of its content. Uh, in the sense that what, what, was in, what was fun about writing the, about the Marina Abramovich retrospective, because this is an artist with some substantial kind of career behind her. Uh, I, I think, and it was for, for a relatively mainstream public, that piece, it was for The Telegraph, uh, and it was meant to take a kind of antagonistic point of view on it. But what's important is that we've had art stars and art celebrities for 30 years, yeah, 
but the the kind the, what the, the content or the, the message which they they project uh, has shifted. And I thought what was interesting about Abramovich is that she went from being a kind of underground counterculture sort of uh, you know radical you know uh, Yugoslavian artist uh, Serbian artist who was you know broadly speaking against the state and and kind of acted uh, you know came up with some kind of like interventions and uh, public performance art moments which were of some you know uh, visceral uh, uh, interest and, and and had a degree of impact but over the years she's become increasingly uh, you know involved with and and engaged with a kind of iconography which I, 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 th- I hope she's being sort of ironic or that there is some kind of like uh, hidden humor in it, but she's, it seems to have increasingly become a, a sort of uh, figure who believes in crystals and a kind of uh, centered energy and a kind of, some, some of the worst tropes of, of holistic kind of wellness culture turn up in a lot of more, her more recent works, right? Uh, you could, at the Royal Academy, you could walk through this kind of weird archway. Uh, there were two. One, one early work where you had to brush through or between two naked, uh, a, a naked man and a woman, and you had to squeeze between them. And, and obviously this was meant to be a kind of pedagogic uh, <laughs> a kind of experience <laughs> to, to kind of look at the notions of social, you know, questions of social... Uh, uh, etiquette and convention and so on and whatnot but by the end of it you're going through an, an arch which was uh, built had kind of enormous quartz crystals built into the insides of it illuminated so that you would pass through and, and apparently somehow uh, gather some of the crystal energy right and it, it, it just made Did me you? well I, I i don't think i picked up any crystal energy no uh, because it doesn't exist right so but of course, people think all that stuff exists, and it was quite weird and dispiriting. I mean, not only in that work, but in other works where she just sits there and stares at people, and they feel enormous kind of a sense of catharsis and communion, and and so so basically, there's a very kind of broad set of tropes in her more recent work that have made her a celebrity, which are all about the idea of of a kind of Post New Age wellness culture of 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 uh, feeling sorry about yourself and wanting to release your sorrow through the agency of a kind of slight quasi mystical mystical figure. Now I think she does play. I think to a degree she plays those things up, but I also think that people don't necessarily care whether she's playing those up self consciously. I think people genuinely do uh, enjoy uh, and participate in the in the idea of. Her as this kind of focus figure for their uh, sense of uh, loss and and frustration and sadness that can be uh, released through an encounter with her presence, right? <laughs> these are quite these are quite strange uh, turn in culture because it, but it obviously reflects uh, the therapeutic turn in culture. It reflects the the relatively downbeat, victim centered or or or, or trauma centered uh, subject that needs a form of kind of therapeutic re- redemption right and and mm. this is an interesting yeah. uh turn for an artist to to have to have uh, uh moved towards that away from a much more kind of aggressively kind of uh political and and, and uh countercultural uh form of 
art as activism to something which is a, a kind of uh, the art gallery is a space for communion with with the the, the, the kind of almost sort of saint-like figure who uh, takes on your your suffering. Uh, I mean, weird experience, right? Now, having said that, I guess there's also, I mean, we, we, it, these are connected because you wanted to talk about magic. Well, I mean, yeah, I so think there's, kind of, yeah. Yeah, go on. I mean, I, I think, like, I, no, go, go on, because I think you, you want to frame it in a certain way. Well, I mean, actually, so you've written this piece quite, uh, I think it was last year, which I thought was very interesting and it kind of was able to sum up something that I think that I had maybe intuited somehow in, in sometimes seeing art and then um, realizing, oh, actually, maybe this this is a thing, as you suggest that it is, that there's a, a return of or a turn to magic in art that, you know, there's kind of ideas of the mystical or the irrational or somehow have have come back. And I mean, I would uh, urge listeners to check out the the piece itself it's in the show notes along with some of other jj's pieces which we've kind of already made reference to so there does seem to be a strange turn i think in in culture and i wonder if you find that this is um a turn away from politics a kind of a turn to something irrational mystical away from telling people that climate change is is, is bad and we need to do something or if it's somehow of a piece with it i don't know mm-hmm. well i, I I do think it's in a strange way it's of a piece because I mean I think that it's worth trying to sketch out some of the points of reference in that piece I started to notice that the term magic mysticism but particularly magic was cropping up more and more in a lot of press releases that I was receiving and the number of artists were starting to kind of like quite quite openly and explicitly sort of in, indulge and, and involve themselves with uh, ideas of the occult and of witchcraft uh, and of a kind of notion of spiritualism which had very little to do with <clears throat> religion in any kind of you know traditional sense. I started also notice, uh, and coming out of a number of big shows, maybe at the end of the 2010s, out of the two th- end of the 2000s where particularly uh, women artists uh, were starting to kind of connect a sort of feminist critique of patriarchy to, to a kind of indulgence and celebration of witchcraft mm. or the figure of the witch, right? And at the same time, you could see, and this obviously that slightly applies in, in some ways to, to, to Marina Abramovich, right? The iconography that she develops more recently connects the idea of the saint and the witch together in a, and the martyr uh, and the mystic in a particular way. But you notice this more and more uh, in, in, in art of the last, say, 10 years. And it is interesting that, you know, that artists, and I was looking at my inbox, I was just searching for the word witchcraft as a kind of keyword in Google Mail. And I was quite shocked at how many times the word comes up in, in press releases that I receive from all over the place. And it's broadly speaking uh, framed in terms of it's usually uh, female artists. And the, the the usual line is something along the lines of that uh, it's, it's counter patriarchal, right? So so there's a kind of, kind of historical hmm. consciousness of how the witch was always the, the, the woman punished by the man or by, by male power. And so therefore it's kind of, 
picked up both as a performative, but also I think in, in, in more and more instances, people are actually quite serious about how they, um, how they uh, value uh, notions of spell making and witchcraft and, so and so on. Does, sorry, just just to jump yeah. in there, and I guess you you know you can that, that kind of feminist critique and Caliban and the witch, Federici, all that all yeah. that sort of thing. That's yes. you know possibly where it draws on. But it, is it then meant to kind of the idea is that the artwork is kind of a a ritual or 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 a casting well, of a, a spell? It's not just a kind of taking some of the the ideas, but it's actually the performance will will change something. Uh, well, uh, weirdly, uh, George, your your intuition is correct. <laughs> you're a better you're better at this maybe, than you think. Maybe I am an artist after all. <laughs> it is. It, I, I, it's also interesting that that again the tropes of spell making, right? Although the kind of idea and the, the, the or the notion of of enchantment, spell making, uh, uh, forms of ritual practice are being taken up by artists within the gallery, right? So, the, uh, I mean, again, one has to be very, very conscious of whether it's done self-consciously or whether... But I think that there is a point, there is a line that's starting to kind of blur where people actually do invest. I'm not just saying that this is to do with uh, f- uh, female artists, actually. I mean, obviously, there is a, there's an obvious con- an, you know, connection between you know, an interest in the, in the figure of the witch historically and and using it you know employing it as a way to kind of address mm. uh patriarchy and i think you're absolutely right that uh, federici federici's book is quite important uh and i've noticed that you know as uh, often as a reference point but i think and then i've noticed and we notice also that that the idea of ritual and the space of the gallery as a space for ritual is being toyed with right and it is happening and artists are playing with this and seeing what happens. The interesting thing is that nobody's laughing it out of court, right? This is the weirdest mm. thing. that it, mm. There's very little pushback uh, amongst critics to say this is just, this is irrationalist nonsense, right? Or this is regressive, uh, anti-modern uh, thinking. Be- because for some reason that kind of, discourse has, has kind of bedded in and i think you know as i say Federici is a important reference point in that so, and so I, you have kind of artists who kind of claim to be kind of left-wing or radical or coming from a left-wing feminist tradition who are who are essentially saying well well uh, the tropes and the forms uh, and the traditions of of mysticism the occult and witchcraft kind of things that we can tools we can use right so, I mean, one of the things that this discussion of, you know, witchcraft and the mysticism and, and so on kind of at least brings to mind for me is that it seems to go against both a very superficial form of spectacular art of the 90s and also the very obviously political art and tries to search for something maybe transcendent. I don't know if you read that into it and what I, at least from my experience which is very limited and maybe and maybe um not that much to go on but there seemed to be very little contemporary art which tries to just be beautiful and just tries to be you know demonstrate some craft some art in trying to make something beautiful and so you don't have the transcendence the sense of transcendence through beauty maybe you're having it through magic instead i don't know is that i I think that's a very i think you're, you're you're onto something with that i mean i don't want to beat up on uh, artists 
uh, who want to try to use witchcraft as a kind of performative uh, vehicle for the critique of patriarchy, right? But, and I think it's important not to kind of dwell just on that, because I think what's, to, to kind of reply to your point there and the question, I think it's important to notice that actually those kinds of tropes are part of a greater uh, field, which is to do with a reluctance or a, or a disinclination to uh, acknowledge what would be called like Western uh, Enlightenment uh, epistemologies or something like that. Because what at the same time as you're seeing a lot of that kind of performative mysticism, you're also seeing the kind of emergence of a lot of anti, anti-Western uh, or, or kind of post-colonial critiques of a supposedly Western rationalism. And that's, that's very interesting because you see that a lot in the, in the integration of, of indigenous perspectives uh, in a lot of curating now. So it's a very big deal now. And I think you would have probably been struck by this in Sao Paulo. And of course, you know, in terms of the politics of indigeneity, which I think we, we were briefly discussing on in the DMs on Twitter recently because of your visit there, it's really noticeable how many artists, uh, indigenous artists, uh, are becoming uh, are, are brought into uh, larger ensembles and are, are having higher profiles because of the attempt by curators to in, incorporate indigenous perspectives into mainstream, like sanctioned official institutional contemporary art. Right, uh, and of course, one of the interesting points about that is that indigenous perspectives are often taken to suggest other knowledges, mm. other ways of, of knowing, right? Which implicitly or explicitly are critiques of, essentially are, are, are critiques of, of Western ways or modern ways or enlightenment ways of, of, of knowing, right? So I think that there is a, a, an issue, quite a profound kind of uh, political and philosophical issue there or the, polit- the, the way in which philosophy is, traditions of philosophy have been politicized because in the kind of post-humanities or in the or, or what we now see as the humanities the critique of you know uh, modernist or modern and western supposedly epistemology is entrenched right uh, and it also amazingly links through everything links also to environmentalism because environmentalism is is also connected to the body of the the, the female. It's, this is kind of wacky, but it does keep coming up. You see it all the time, and the and the perspective, the authentic perspective of the indigenous subject. And these are very very kind of weird cultural formations, right? So so things which were perhaps progressive, like uh, self determination in terms of indigenous rights. Uh, self-determination in terms of uh, feminist politics seem to have kind of turned around and started going backwards to to, to kind of ideas of the and the pre-modern and the mystical and the and the kind of uh, uh, you know um, culturally authentic hmm. and kind of like which... an, an esoteric form of of knowledge that can only be accessed by some people, so it's not universal. Is yeah, that is, I mean, is that I... the kind of idea? And that's why it's kind of witchcraft secret hidden 
Yes. I don't know. I might be kind of. Well, I mean, I think it's it's the relationship to knowledge which is um, problematized, right? So, so, so the point about the occult, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't overstress the kind of witchcraft theme, and it's really, and it's, uh, and and the kind of asp- the, the, the the kind of constituency which is principally within uh, women's uh, female artists and and a kind of feminist critique, because there are other artists who are also toying with uh, and working with. Uh, a broader notion of mysticism, which is anti-rational, uh, and right. which is uh, which is a kind of like you know, new materialist, right? So so new materialism has a very strong relationship to you know, like kind of philosophical new materialism of Latour and uh, and uh, some of the um, uh, speculative realists, and there's a, there's there's many uh, philosophical trends which tend to kind of discount. The, the the kind of rational human subject, and tend to big up the idea of uh, which is quasi mystical in its own right, which is that the ecosys the ecosphere knows itself and regulates itself and is an entity of, in its own terms. So, and of course, if you introduce human subjects who have a supposedly more authentic access to to that reality, of course, where does that leave you? It leaves you with an inauthentic modern industrial uh, 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 contemporary subject. Mm. As as the kind of negative to these more authentic, ironically kind of anti-rational <laughs> subjectivities, right? I think I mean, I think just to finish, it's it's important to make the to kind of wonder whether you know I, I have kind of toyed with this a lot recently for myself. It's just like, are we looking at forms of regression everywhere, and on what on what basis can we uh, assert the notion of regression, right? I mean, because obviously the point is about about if you look at like the early occult or the occult moment where it becomes most sort of saliently visible as a as a question, it's actually in the moment, like for example, in alchemy, where irrational knowledge starts to turn into something more reason, right? So 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 you have the experience of the early kind of enlightenment uh, physical scientists who are embedded in a certain kind of alchemical tradition, right? I think it's Newton who's most famously the the, the, the kind of bearer of that sign of that uh, moment, and but they they start to reach through empirical questioning and and discovery something which is a bit more reason. Now I think it's really kind of sad at the moment and and dispiriting to see how the idea of a kind of uh, unattain you know ir- unreason or or kind of uh, uh, anti-reason or, or form of kind of uh, mysticism as a sort of mysticism being used as a kind of uh, 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 snub to to the tradition of you know epistemological tradition of reason and rationalism mm. and so on. So so it's just to say that artists are, are thick in with all this kind of uh, intellectual and cultural shift. I think which we see in the humanities, which we see. In contemporary, a lot of contemporary philosophy, but we see very much in the rationalization, ironically, of the environment, you know, ecology, the environment, uh, and the pre-modern as as kind of authentic positions. And I mm. wonder whether we are actually seeing a kind of cultural mm. desire to regress or an impulse to regress back to things which are. I mean, I think it's important when mm. you when you have uh, cases like I think it was the in New Zealand, right last year, I think in the, the kind of 
spat over the open letter at the University of Auckland, I think it was. Uh, which was to do with rings a bell, but if you can tell us, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's that it's issue of whether whether science is Western and whether uh, Aboriginal, Aboriginal knowledge was was equally valid, and this caused a huge spat, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, enormous uh, controversy in in New Zealand, but it's sim- you know we see these elsewhere, where the idea that you know the idea that indigenous knowledge is of an equal standing to say supposedly mm. western knowledge right or should be treated as, as simply different knowledges that's part of that's a very good indicator it's quite symptomatic of this kind of ambiguity or ambivalence uh, certainly in, in in western culture uh, western philosophical culture and, and political culture uh, about whether there's anything strictly better yeah qualitatively yes. better yeah. About what, yeah. what you know, what has happened in in not only in the West but actually you know in the industrialized world in the twentieth century, um, and the and the cultural and intellectual traditions that have out of that out of which that has that has emerged. So I think those things are are salient to to kind of seeing how contemporary art has kind of fixates on a certain number of uh, kind of consensus positions, which I think have their roots in in a kind of post-humanities. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think, you know, in, in political terms, at least, you know, things like uh, decoloniality, or I don't know how it's even referred to now, you know, um, because it's gone beyond post-colonial thought. I mean, it's, you know, hashtag decolonize sometimes. So I guess that expresses how kind of contemporary it is because it's a hashtag or something. Yeah. But, you know, in in those ideas, there definitely seems to be under the guise of doing something, you know, anti-colonial and therefore supposedly in defense of self-determination um, of oppressed peoples, something, there's some search for authenticity in that, you know, these authentic people over there, who are somehow exotic and distant, not like us, inauthentic, inorganic <laughs> Westerners, you know, driven by arid science or something. And I wonder how this, so I, I have this kind of ambivalence about it, not because I'm kind of ambivalent about um, enlightenment modernity, very much to the contrary, but more because there is, I think, a... Um, you know, science and reason haven't disappeared. In fact, they probably, to a lot of people, they seem kind of omnipresent, right? Because it, it, they express themselves as scientism, you know, this ideology of, of science, mm-hmm. and also um, in rationalization, where everything must be submitted to kind of market forms, especially, but not only market, but state-led forms of rationalization. And so you'd understand that there would be a reaction against that, and trying to say, hey, what, we want to just care about this thing or believe in this thing for its own sake, right? Or to have beauty for its own sake, not necessarily because it makes sense, you know, but because we attribute meaning to it, not, you know, not, not submit to kind of this over weaning rationalization led by the market. So I get that. And bureaucracies. And and bureaucracies. Yeah, exactly. And so, so I get that. And I wonder whether firstly art, any contemporary art kind of expresses some revolt against that, or indeed if all of what we've been talking about is, is in a way a, a kind of romantic revolt against that. And then a, a follow-on question, um, if I can, if I'm not tacking too much on in one go, whether 
you know, if that is a sort of romantic revolt, how is that different from, you know, the, the romantics of the 19th century who themselves were kind of reacting against Enlightenment rationalism at a, at a time when, you know, Enlightenment rationalism was the coming thing. It was, you know, it was edgy and new and cool. <laughs> and nowadays, few people seem to think it is. I mean, I think, I think that there is uh, always uh, an impulse to uh, assert one's own sense of self through art, right? So I think it's very interesting that a lot of some of this art is less about analysis and discourse, or uh, it's less analytical and, and discursive and more about even the kind of just the possibility that you might experience something or feel something or or, or invoke uh, some state of being which is access you know which is authentically accessible to your to yourself right uh, so there's always a tension in in contemporary art about the public aspect of art which is rationalistic to a certain degree because it requires notions of justification right this is this is precisely the point about the enlightenment and its struggle with the aesthetic right uh, and of course the reason why you have a romantic reaction in aesthetics uh, to the initial uh, enlightenment moment in aesthetics and, and, in, and, in, and in any way actually you know enlightenment aesthetics never really starts with a kind of clean pure clear you know mm. rational aesthetics right it's never it's never the case however the, the kind of claim of rationality always puts the the felt and the subjective intention right uh, both sides have to try to explain themselves to each other right that's why aesthetics you know post kantian aesthetics after kant are have to deal with with the unknowable and uh the sensual right and the, what it means to 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 enjoy you know what is the what is pleasure and cognition how do, do they work together do they have are they conflicting and so on so there is a public aspect to art which is always about having other people in the room <laughs> and there's a private aspect to art which is which is about uh, a collect uh, you know yourself and your and your closest you know uh, you know comrades or, or your closest sort of uh, associates uh, who might be part of a community small community that all feel and think in the same way so i think you know it's never been the case that uh, art has uh, rejected the subjective, but uh, or has been always about rationality. I don't think that's the case. And in fact, it would be very. I think it's very boring if if art is not about feeling and sensation. Right. Uh, but it's not just about that because it's also about discourse and thought and and content and and uh, and ideas. Right. All these things swirl together in in good art. Right. Uh, I think that's important. I think though that that what is more problematic is that. Even though we see art, which is reaching, and I mean, I think it's important to come to this point about about the reaction to to something which is an experience of society which is instrumentalized and highly uh, bureaucratized, and so on. I think it's important to kind of recognize that that to to turn to these kinds of these uh, the idea of a state of being which is more kind of uh, authentic because it refuses and rejects everything about modernity or the modern experience. It is clearly a reaction and regressive in a certain way, uh, and it's all, and it's partly why I think you know a lot of art. You know, there's quite a lot of art which is involved with the internet and with AI 
and and the wilder statements that, that are sometimes made by artists or, or commentators who are in the field about uh, the internet and and about digital culture and about social media and about artificial intelligence, where they almost see it as a as a kind of godhead entity, right? So so the so artificial intelligence itself is is treated as a and the net is treated as a kind of quasi mystical. Uh, uh, space as well and in fact there's a tradition of mysticism of net mysticism in, in a lot of uh art adjacent cultural commentary net net mysticism does yeah, that mean kind of, uh, does that uh, mean uh, more mysticism than not mysticism so no no the, the, the internet itself is a is a potentially a a, a, a kind of mystical space right or a in so one sense, get... it is. I guess it's so unknowable, and you know, if you ex- explained it to somebody, you know, a hundred years ago, they'd be like, "Wow, this is this is magic." It's sufficiently developed technology, but well, I'm sure that's the way not. We, even the way we talk about the algorithm, right? Like, oh, the algorithms, you know, managing things and showing you things and hiding other things from you, and you're not really sure yes. how it's how it's structured. But it's. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's. Um, I mean, you, you, you know, I, I I both take the I take both your points. I mean, it's, it's Arthur C. Clarke, isn't it? Who um, who said that? Um, how does he phrase it? Uh, uh, at a certain point, um, sufficiently advanced. Sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable. Yeah. Indistinguishable from, from magic, right? Yeah. And I think there's there's not a bad. It's a good line, and I think it is actually totally applicable to the kind of bullshit that com- is currently swirling around the kind of AI hysteria, you know. That. And but more broadly, is attached comes out of uh, cultural attachment to the idea of the technological as as a non-human other that has actually more agency than we do. So I think a lot of yeah. these tropes that we find in culture and which are constantly working their way in and out of artists' work is reflects to a, to, to a great quite quite a significant degree significant degree that sort of disappointment with subjective agency so there's a kind of like two-way kind of movement going on there alex you know like as you say you know the the, the idea the wit the the desire to believe uh, or the the desire to be immersed or the desire to 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 want to have some control over yourself even actually if it means sort of obliterating yourself which is a very kind of you know it's the sublime right this is why people Mm. talk about the uh technological sublime you know you know in some kind of post kind of i don't know 90s theory but i think that that's it it also means that there's a sort of other reaction which is where people who think of themselves as trying to do something against this kind of discourse this discourse hegemony which you see in in contemporary culture that certainly you know there are people on the i don't know the alt-right perhaps who who are going around trying to kind of regenerate the idea of beauty uh, and tradition and the tradition of beauty yeah. and the beauty of tradition and all this kind of, and and frankly it, it really uh, the, the gears spin on air because uh, it's really a reaction to again that kind of loss of certainty in, in the contemporary moment and and the absolute sense of of being completely unmoored socially. Uh, and at a moment where everything seems to be adrift, right? So there is a kind, definitely a sort of slightly kind of cosplay, right-wing, pretentious, 
reaction uh, that <laughs> wants to lay claim to kind of beauty and 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 uh, a certain kind of heroic art, perhaps, which you sometimes see in weird little corners of the internet. Uh, and yes, uh, you know, all those kind of av- you know Twitter avatars that are of Greek statues and um, with with lasers coming out of their eyes. That's that's you know that's been around for a while. Uh, Should. Uh, you should know, say I, that you know, given somebody who's usually on the podcast but is not here now, that does have a Greek statue as their Twitter avatar. But, but There's nothing wrong with that. Phil, to be fair to Phil, it doesn't have lasers come out of the eyes. So, Mr. Trick, or, or, or even in you know, I think it's a very good example of of that kind of aesthetic, kind of slightly sort of hopped up in, in you know, Bronze Age pervert. Or no, sorry, not not Bronze Age pervert, but uh, raw egg nationalist. <laughs> that, that kind of weird outfit or carry on if you don't know what yeah. what jj is talking about in, in reference just google, there it's good yeah well and lucky you also i want to say you know <laughs> um. but yes no i so think i do think that there is a, a sort of in both directions or in on various points in the in the sort of i don't know cultural political spectrum if you can even call it that uh, a strong kind of uh, disorientation that about you know basic things like you know modernity knowledge reason <laughs> um uh and, and as you say alex i think that the i think decolonization or or the, or, or the decolonial uh, a kind of uh, trend in, in intellectual life and in and its influence on academic life and how that then feeds through to to um to, to cultural life and certainly artistic production i think that those that has become yet an, you know yet another of the sticks to beat the west with or rather yet another of the sticks that westerners use to beat mm-hmm. themselves up with right because i it think does. that often the the, the, the claims mm. to support indigenous rights or the idea of uh, concepts around uh, the political claims i think are weak Right, I, I see nobody sincerely or, or, or radically petitioning to hand over uh, seized lands or settled lands to their rightful owners. Right, I see a lot of land right acknowledgements, but just you just you to... can't move for that. But you, mm. but never never an actual kind of political claim. Um, so, just just a question about where I guess all of this leads to because. I don't want to put too many words in your mouth, but it, you know, that, that, but you did say that kind of disorientation around knowledge, modernity and reason. It seems like there's a lot of contemporary art practice, which looks to, I guess, undermine the authority maybe of quote unquote the West or maybe of like artistic institutions themselves. I mean, is there a, is there a kind of a a stopping point to all of this? I mean, I, I might've misconstrued, like what's going on but it does seem in you know in many aspects of political and cultural life there is a you know a continual undermining and, and de-legitimating of, of some of the structuring institutions of, of political or cultural life so and it does seem there has to be a kind of an endpoint where this you can no longer make hay doing this because these you know institutions are finally ultimately completely exhausted but yeah, I mean, does this does this continue in in your view? This kind of it sounds like the the way that you've you've sort of portrayed the the contemporary art world is one of you know undermining some of these basic kind of premises almost of like contemporary Western art. Does it does it go on indefinitely, or does it reach well, a contradiction I, I think, at some point? 
I mean, I think it's clear that that what I've been certainly the way I've been talking about it, I guess, is to kind of note that uh, a lot of contemporary artistic production is to a degree subservient to trends that are develop have developed from other uh, from from other spaces, right? So I think it's interesting when the reason we talk so much about art, which is about this and that. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be about it could be about gender politics or race, race politics, or the politics of indigeneity, or uh, or the environment, or you know, basically, we we can see that there's always a sort of shopping list, uh, whether it's cynically kind of ticked off by curators in institutions or not, or whether they deeply believe in it is is beside the point in a way, because what we see is that it's essentially not a space that has much autonomy. You know, the, the contemporary art has very little, seems to have increasingly little autonomy when it comes to what it's supposed to address and how it's supposed to do things. Uh, and, mm. and in a way, of course, I think people involved are, are willing subjects to that, you know. Uh, the art the yeah. art school converses with the Humanities Academy, uh, converses with political theory, you know. And we can see that there's a kind of very strong consensus uh, of ideas that, that, that maps a number of institutions together. Obviously, when it comes to uh, decolonization, that's had a very uh, debilitating and serious impact on on museum and uh, culture, right? It's it's I think it's radical in the way in which it is disrupting how curators understand what they should be doing. I think, of course, also much more kind of banal dynamics like uh, you know, diversity policy. Uh, are also kind of mangling the way in which uh, you know institutional uh, culture, you know, museum culture or gallery culture, understand what how they are to, how they are to program or what they are for. So the, the the idea of representation in terms of personnel, in terms of people, you know, uh, uh, profiling artists of whichever uh, uh, identity fraction. These things take precedence, right? And so, how, whether you think that's good or not, uh, it, it remains the case that, as an as a cultural institution, you know, art is in, is is remarkably lacking in in autonomy or agency to 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 do different things, right? To to be able to kind of uh, represent a, a plurality of of positions or interests. And I think what's very interesting about it is it produces a, essentially a circular, increasingly circular economy. So the people who who are curating the shows curate the artists who have been trained in the institutions along a certain set of ideas, yeah. which will be, and so it goes round and round and round and round. It is creating increasingly fraught moments of tension and conflict uh, when those exhibitions and, and institutions are coming face to face with certain issues, which are now becoming quite problematic. I mean, I think you know, for example, the the kind of fallout in the art world uh for whose side you're on post uh october the 7th right is notable right uh without going into into that too much but it, it's remarkable how it, that's actually just the the last the the last uh, kind of most recent example of how uh art institutions have become basically in hoc to uh, a whole string of uh, uh, of self-imposed requirements to represent first Me Too, then Black Lives Matter, 
then the whole kind of uh, policy circus around and cultural circus around environmentalism. And they've become peculiarly sort of, I guess, um, monological or monocultural spaces. Yeah. I don't know if that's overstating the experience because obviously there's clearly a lot of commercial galleries and non-profit little galleries where artists are doing all kinds of slightly more kind of eccentric or, or, or kind of uh, self-directing stuff, which is not easily kind of uh, reducible to those to those um, perspectives. But I do think that in terms of the model of the very large exhibition, which of which, like, for example, the Sao Paulo Biennial is, is, is a very important uh, example, we see basically the making of exhibitions according to agendas, mm. uh, which are sort of quasi-political, I guess. Mm. I mean, that that's would be of a piece with, I guess, you know, many other cultural institutions as i as i said i think that that sounds like a sort of familiar um story but i did want to ask one one final question which is a you know risking with being a kind of return tradition kind of alt-right neo trad guy uh, yeah neo trad guy but you know beauty you do i mean we have mentioned it a a few times but you know why why is art no longer about beauty you know is there any beauty to be found in the art world today is there any kind of <clears throat> i don't know is it just the the old the old writers saying we we want the these kind of beautiful pictures or sculptures or whatever i mean yeah it, it, where, it does sound like it? It, it does sound like robert plant on stage asking does anyone remember laughter but you know <laughs> but it's a good question you know like it's true there's it's a few times i go to a, a, an exhibition and think someone's trying to do something that's just beautiful you know, I don't, I don't know. Well, I mean, be, firstly, I think that you, you don't, you can't look to traditionalists uh, for a creative and speculative questioning of what, what makes the beautiful, right? Because traditionalists just want to take you back to point at the old stuff because they have some kind of relatively sort of limited notion of that's good, right? Now, no. the interesting thing is that they're not necessarily wrong. It's just they don't know why they're right, Okay you have to actively look to check that the canon is worth being the canon, right? Making the, if beauty is part, is a criteria for the canon of culture and certainly Western culture after a, uh, a certain point, but is a broadly discussable and, and, and transferable uh, notion, uh, then you have to check that it really does work for yourself, right? And that it is still a living idea. Uh, mm-hmm. And that it is manifest and can be found in the experience of artworks of us of maybe of particular types, but at least that raises the challenge of what constitutes it. But the the important thing about beauty, in a sense, is that it comes out of the whole discourse of beauty comes out of a moment in which human beings reflect on their own value and capacity, right? And the strangeness of, of, of their contradictory state of being, which is to feel and to think, to act and to, to experience, you know, these things are core to the, to the kind of certainly the Enlightenment speculation around uh, the beautiful. But it, it does lead to a kind of, it does kind of rely on a certain kind of naive notion, perhaps at the time, but, but, but necessary notion that there's something, something worthwhile about reflecting on the value of, of existence or human experience as a self, as a subject. Now, I do think that it's, it, you know, people don't talk about it because, I mean, to, not, not to kind of make it too, too much of a caricatured point, but 
uh, I think we just don't really like ourselves very much. And mm. so why would anything be beautiful? <laughs> why, human, if human beings are a, a pox and a virus and a, and yeah. a destructive kind of uh, dynamic on the face of an otherwise unblemished uh, uh, you know, planet, then why would we see ourselves as, 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 as or, or why would we even bother to consider a human-centric notion of the value of, uh, you know, ex, of human experience? I mean, that's why the good and the beautiful and the true go together, right? Because we have to kind of, you know, in that kind of classical, you know, enlightenment uh, 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 kind of formulation, because we have to ask ourselves, what is it about that's good about a thing? Who determines it? Is it what is it about the self, the human subject, that that gives it authority to claim itself as the as the as the uh, arbiter and the and the the, the kind of uh, authority over uh, the way the world should should uh, look and be experienced? So I think you know that's that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of running away with this one, but I think it's important to kind of recognize that you know in a in a period where the idea of human uh, activity as such right human productive activity and this is this is a more of a marxist kind of or materialist tradition in me that, that comes to you know comes to the rescue in a situation where even you know and this is why environmentalism is such a kind of noxious kind of doctrine for me in a in a in a culture where you know we are told that even the production of us of our own societies uh, is a is is a stain right <laughs> and that we by acting and by living and by producing our are as ourselves in some way the problem, then the idea that any kind of productive, you know, anything that you make for your own pleasure or for just for the, the sense of what it might be for you becomes actually quite suspect. So I think it's more, so we have a quite a painful culture in a way because I think coming back to some of the points we were discussing earlier, I think there is a desire to, to have some sense of value and transcendence, hmm. right? Uh, and yet it's because it's self-defeating because we live in a culture that refuses that human beings should act in their own interests so you have a kind of mixed kind of weirdly mixed sort of passive aggressive <laughs> a passive aggressive culture let's say which which wants to to kind of somehow reach something good but is constantly told it has to deny its own agency uh, uh because most, you know, most all human agency is in some way destructive. So self, self denial, uh, and the secret desire to to transcend, I think, kind of go together. Mm. In, in, to come back to to uh, Alex's point earlier. No, I, th I think no. that's I, I think that's absolutely hit the nail on the head. Although it's quite <laughs> quite bleak that we don't have the the preconditions to even consider beauty but I, yeah i love to also your phrase passive-aggressive culture i think that's absolutely true well i mean also you know let's not forget orthodoxy because i think if if you are afraid of what people can do then you basically want more of a kind of a clerical society or a, a feudal society mode where basically meanings are authorized right uh, and so we do tend to see uh, I, I tend to see the, the kind of the institutional art world, art world as increasingly a form of uh, clerisy in that sense. You know, those who authorize the management of the meanings of the public sphere, 
you know, and I think that is uh, not that's applicable to, to the institutional or, or sanctioned art world, but I think it's it's very obvious that that is that is a dynamic uh, elsewhere in in the academia, in the media, and so on and so yeah. on. Well, I hope listeners have understood this the right way. Um, they've <laughs> taken the correct interpretation from this episode. No, this has um, been excellent, JJ. That that's been, yeah, it's been very good, very enlightening, and that was very well put at the end. I do kind of maybe try to take something positive from that. If there is a sort of maybe tension there of a you know people trying to do something good, but also being told that they must deny themselves, there's a tension there at least. Absolutely, and I do think it really has to do with. Um, Think, rethinking the, the terms by which one can be independent to pursue what one wants uh, without necessarily knowing uh, what it should mean, how it should turn out, and what it should reveal to us. Otherwise, what we get is is, is kind of uh, art which either panders to us uh, or lectures us and doesn't actually give us a great deal of space to, to, to form our own uh, sense of, of what is good and bad in, in that encounter. Excellent. I would love to kind of carry this on because there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could talk about, about relationship between artificial intelligence and art or the role of the market, uh, censorship and art. But anyway, that'll have to stay for another time. Thank you, JJ, again, for uh, being with us on this last episode of 2023. Uh, as I said at the beginning, there's lots coming up in the new year, so make sure you don't miss out. Um, if you'd like to subscribe, it's at patreon.com slash bungacast. Plenty of interesting stuff about uh, catastrophe, about the millennial left, uh, about emotionalism, um, and about punk and transgression, and indeed art. So more of this kind of thing to come also in, in 2024. It's been lovely to spend 2023 with you, uh, listener. Thanks for being with us um, and for your continual engagement also with uh, what we do. We look forward to more of that next year. Um, but for now, happy holidays, and uh, we'll see you in January. Catch you later. Bye.